Welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. I'm Mitch DeWitt, and we also have Alicia Vandeven in the booth here today. And we're finally set up. We're ready to rock and roll, and we are ready to talk about a super exciting topic that very well could affect many of you listening. And whether you're young and growing your retirement savings, maybe you are at the age where you're taking distributions, but what we're going to talk about is Secure Act 2.0. And that was recently signed into law. And that's the topic that we're going to dive into. And we thought it'd be perfect to have Alicia here because she loves financial planning and she loves some, not all, of the, the things that come from this particular piece of legislation. And speaking of things that we also love, we love, we love coffee. And I was thinking about this because I'm on my second cup this morning. <laughs> And one of the things that Alicia and I always do first thing in the office is make sure that we have our coffee mugs full. And I wanted to throw a, a little acknowledgement out, out there on the neighbors next door that provide us with coffee. Thank you, Madison Chocolate Company. Um, uh, they uh, provide me with my lifeblood. Yeah. That, that is coffee. Yep. When Mitch also knows when I, come there. In, when I come in in the morning um, to not really start a conversation with me until at least my first mug of coffee is gone. So that's kind of a very important, you know, Mitch is like, oh, have you finished your coffee yet? I was like, no, just let me, let me get to the bottom of the first mug. And then it, it makes me who I am as a person. It, it allows the person that I am to blossom. You know uh, what else I just noticed is we both say mug. I was at, what coffee shop was I at recently where I ordered a mug because I was, I was there to stay like I didn't need it to go cup and I said I would like a mug of coffee please yeah and they right away asked me are you from Michigan I'm like yes I am from Michigan but I've been in Wisconsin <laughs> a long time and they're like oh yeah that's uh, a Michigan thing Michiganders say mug but Versus then I what? but you're from Appleton what's so the alternative to mug just a cup I guess like a cup of coffee versus but a mug, mug just seems more coffee like it seems more cozy especially in January you know it's like a mug. Well, a mug to of me, I think it it's also maybe about size. Like a cup of coffee is too small. <laughs> Where a mug of coffee, I feel True. like, is anywhere so from two volume. to three cups of coffee. True. Okay, so cup might be like your eight ounce yeah. splash yeah. of coffee. And that's never enough. I need multiple mugs of coffee. I would agree with that. So. I need like, I need one mug. One mug. If we're defining mug as 16 to 20 ounces daily, that works for me. Yeah, that's fair. Because sometimes this is a 16 ounce, I think. And sometimes one yeah. is enough or I'll go half okay. for, for an additional. Um, but if I drink two of these, um, I'm going to get a lot done that day uh, <laughs> until I crash at about 3.30. And then I just <laughs> need a nap, I think, at that point. <laughs> yes. So I try to keep it within the range of perking me up without uh, making me buzz around the office and then need an afternoon nap. <laughs> yes, or an afternoon cup of coffee because, as we just defined, a cup of coffee is less volume of coffee. That's true. Because I am, I am known for getting my afternoon splash slash little cup of coffee. Well, that is when we go next door, again, to Madison Chocolate. Love them. Um, and that's when I will get the sea salt caramel latte that Ooh. they have. Oh, <laughs> so good. I've heard the lattes are the best. I don't really drink lattes, but... Mm. 
I like caramel. Caramel's good. Yes, it's very good. A lot of sugar, but worth it. In any case, we we have our mugs of coffee here because sometimes when you're diving into new legislation, it requires a little coffee, right? So for you listeners out there, grab your cup of coffee, grab your mug of coffee. Let's go. And you know what? I'm going to have Alicia. She's got her notepad here. I I know you can't see it. Well, actually, maybe you can. There are some cameras. So those that are seeing this online, you might be able to see this. She's got a notepad. She's into it. And... Do you want to give us just a quick high-level overview on on what some of the things were were written in this in this piece of legislation? Oh my gosh! And then also maybe just start with with some of the ones that are going to impact some of, more people. I'll say because there, there's yeah. certain very obscure things. This is what is it thousands of of documents that was in the. I mean, it or, was uh, pages, thousands I of pages. Say. Yes. Yeah. I, and I, I did go pull up the bill just because in a lot of the articles that I was reading about Secure 2.0, it was just so high level that I was reading these sort of bullet points that people had pulled out. And I was like, well, but what about this? Or does it say anything about this? Or how is it going to impact this? Um, and I think the issue is, is with people who, the people who write this legislation are not the people who have to implement this legislation. So oftentimes when they're writing it, they don't think of how this is actually going to turn out in the real world. Um, and a lot of these provisions, these, the answer, the, or the question isn't answered yet as far as, well, what does this mean for this type of account? Or what does this mean in this situation? You know, they, they didn't think of everything. And so a lot of these things are kind of, we need to wait to get more guidance on some of these things to see how these are, are going to turn out. So I did try to scroll through the bill a little bit, all 4,000 pages of it. I'll, I'll be honest, it was a little intense. Um, and it was really hard to find kind of some of those answers that I was looking for. Again, because I, I just, the people who write it are not the people who have to ultimately be the ones to implement it. And that's a very good point. And I'm going to interject real quick before, and I'm sorry if I'm taking your thunder, but notice that this is called Secure Act 2.0. So actually, if we back up a little bit, there was a Secure Act passed at the end of 19, 2019, that some things went to effect right away in 2020. And so this is 2.0. And and there's a lot more, to be honest. So there's more to digest. There's a longer time frame of, time frame of implementation to Alicia's point of, we're going to need some follow-up from the IRS and, and other authorities that be on, on some of the implementation piece. So there was Secure Act 1.0 a while back. One of the big takeaways from 1.0 was how inherited... IRAs are handled. So that was one of the big things there. And and Secure Act 2.0 uh, is where we are today, which was just passed in December of 2022. So well, it, that exactly speaks to my point is inherited IRAs were something that happened in the first Secure Act. We're still trying to figure out how those new rules work. And for the record, Secure 2.0 didn't clarify any of that. Yeah. And th- it didn't change any of those rules. Nope. And I I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it also, it didn't clarify any of those things. And so you still have, you know, accountants, financial advisors, everybody still trying to figure out what those rules are and how they work. And it's been years at this point. Um, So it it may still be years before we figure out how some of the things in Secure Act 2.0 ultimately are going to pan out for people. Um, And for some provisions, which don't take effect until, you know, 2024, 2025, we have a little bit of time to kind of wait and see what that guidance looks like. But then there are other things that are effective immediately. Yeah. Yeah, What are some of those things? That (laughs) this year. Okay. So I think one of of the big ones is RMD age. RMDs, required minimum distributions. Um, That's when you, well, in the past, it's when you reached age 72 and you had to start taking money out 
of your uh, retirement account, whether it's a 401k or an IRA, you are required to start taking distributions from that account, and that typically happened at age 72. However, effective immediately, if you reach age 72 after 2022, then you don't have to take your RMD until you're 73. So if you would have turned 72 in 2023, you don't have to take your RMD until next year. In other words, if I turn 73, though, this year, this year, 2023, I have to. Correct. That is correct. And that's that's a change going forward. So no more RMDs at age 72. They bumped up the age to 73 starting in 2023. Um, and for those that are taking their RMD, continue to take it. Correct. It does not affect people who are already taking their RMD. Um, and then in 2033, they're bumping the RMD age up to age 75. Uh, so we know that that's on the horizon where they're going to increase the RMD age again. And this one's really interesting to me because, yes, you are you are delaying people having to take distributions from their re- retirement account and allowing more time for that money to grow if people don't need it. But if at age 73 or at age 75, now that account is bigger, well, now your RMDs are going to be that much larger with that much more time to grow. So ultimately, there there could be situations, I think, where people choose to start taking money out, even though they're not required to. Otherwise, if they're waiting until age 75 to take an RMD, their RMDs are going to be so large that it may affect their Medicare premiums. It may affect what tax bracket they're in. And um, there may be other things tax-wise. Credits and... Yeah, yep. that, that, that might have other implications for that. And so maybe they'll be choosing to actually take smaller, not required distributions earlier just so that those RMDs starting at age 75 aren't so large. Um, for sure. And, and Alicia mentioned, because the, the law that was active, well, really just last month, I guess, before this was signed into law, was, was, age 70, was age 72. It wasn't all that long ago as 70 and a half. So if you think of, okay, <sighs> yep. a few years ago, it was 70 and a half. And all of a sudden by 2033, you know, in the next decade here, it's 75. That, that's five extra years potentially of growth. <laughs> yeah. So in any case, just a, a little more context on that. And, and were there any other thoughts, I guess, that you had on, on the RMD ages changing? Um, you know, it's, I guess I have mixed feelings on it. You know, I think that it's may or may not be good for some people. I think it's going to be very situation dependent. I guess it does give you more flexibility in that if you want to take distributions, you can, but you're not required to. Um, and you know, generally flexibility is a good thing. Um, this will be interesting. I'll, I'll be interested to see a kind of how this plays out in the real world and how it looks for our clients who are around that age and who have to start taking RMDs or are deciding if they want to delay them or not. Um, you know, the other thing is, too, is then if you're not taking RMDs and that account is getting larger, you know, how is that going to affect um, it, it will play into sort of the inherited IRA rules because they really shortened the amount of time that uh, somebody who inherits an IRA has to take all of the money out of that account. And so if, if ultimately you're leaving an even larger IRA account to your spouse or to especially to a child who has to withdraw that money in 10 years or maybe in, in five years, that's going to, and maybe you don't care, but that might have a very large tax implication for the person that you're ultimately leaving that IRA to. For sure. Um, if, it's a, if it's a much larger account. And specifically for the non-designated beneficiaries 
or in a state, like Alicia said, it could be five or 10 years where you are forced, the person that inherits it, forced to take that money out. And um, <clears throat> this is related to Secure Act 1.0, we'll say, where, where how the distributions are handled from those accounts. Like I said earlier, the Secure 2.0 did not clarify some of the distribution rules when it comes to those that are eligible to that 10-year rule. And and somewhat related to that, if you don't mind me chiming in here on, on one of the takeaways as we're, we're talking RMDs here, is the RMD penalty. So the RMD penalty, since Secure Act 2.0 came out, has changed and actually reduced. And it used to be a very steep 50% penalty of what you did not take out from your IRA or whatever account that you had that was subject to the required minimum distribution, 50% pretty steep penalty, right? Um, so, so taxed and penalized, which now I don't know if Alicia, if you have some specific notes on, on the the structure there, but essentially it, re- it can decrease to 25% or 10% if you're very timely. So there, the IRS essentially from an enforcement perspective is a little bit more lenient and in my opinion, some of that might be related to the recent confusion in inherited IRAs because people Definitely. maybe missed their their RMD or um, they didn't realize the intent potentially of the 10-year rule. So then they said, hey, I'm not going to take anything for a few years. And then towards the end of that 10-year rule, maybe you retire or something and that's where you're going to pull some some income towards the the latter stage of the or it's just taking so long to maybe settle in a state you know we have clients who are trying to settle estates for somebody who passed away and who are trying to get those accounts you know the title change get those rolled over figure out what's going on and then all of a sudden the end of the year hits and you haven't taken the rmd because the estate's not settled um so i think that can take a, a lot longer and be more complicated than people think which i feel like is a plug for making sure your estate plan um, you know, is in good order because we, you know, we see firsthand what it looks like and how difficult it is when people don't have a good estate plan and don't have those beneficiaries set up. And it ultimately puts the people who are trying to sort that out um, in a really tough position sometimes. And, and that situation can be very stressful. So future podcast topic. I know we've done that in the past on estate planning, but it might be time to revisit that. I would love to get on a soapbox about that. I know it's a tough thing for people to think about. Nobody wants to think about what happens after they die. I get that, um, you know, but it's definitely a necessary, necessary topic. But yes, for another time, for another time, because we have a yeah. lot to cover in Secure 2.0 and some of it I'm very excited about. Most of it I'm very excited about. There's a few things I drew like little frown faces in my notes. Can, can you give us some, of, maybe some of the frownies or <laughs> also some faces. of the, the stars? I don't know if you yeah. have like happy face, frowny face. Um, but, yes, I definitely... Yeah. Wait till we get about to 529 accounts. I'm very excited. Uh, no, the frowny face one. <sighs> so double, double sigh. I know, double sigh. They're creating this thing called a starter 401k. And it's a new type of 401k plan because we needed another plan. There's not enough out there. There's so many different types of plans out there that even for a financial advisor, keeping them all straight and keeping the different contribution limits and rules and all of that, like we need a chart for that. And and that's our jobs. And that's still something we have to like look up and be like, oh, wait, that is the, the one that's this limit. You know, it has these rules. Um, so they're like, yeah, let's just throw another, let's just throw another type of 401k in the mix. And I was like, okay. Um, and it's just, it's not a great plan. So the details of it, they're calling it a starter 401k. Um, it's something that an employer can offer to their employees, 
but only the employee can contribute to the plan. So it's a 401k that the employer sets up, but the employer is not going to make any contributions to it. So that doesn't feel great. And what are the limits on that? To yeah, get? It's different than your normal 401k, yeah. correct? So in a normal 401k this year, you can contribute 22500 to your 401k plan. Well, for a starter 401k, you are limited to the IRA contribution limit, which this year is 6500 So not only can you not contribute as much as you can to a normal 401k, but the employer isn't contributing. There's no match. There's no employer contributions. It's just you. So that just doesn't feel like why it, it's, I hate it. Terrible <laughs> F don't like it. So I've watched several webinars about secure act 2.0. There's a lot of stuff in here. And I remember calling Mitch after I watched the first one, cause I needed, I needed someone to talk to about this that actually cared. Um, because like, you know, my friends or my husband, I, will spout on about something like this and they just glaze over. So I appreciated that Mitch, I think, listened to me for like half an hour, just spout my notes about Secure 2.0. I was excited about it too, for the record. So I actually enjoyed hearing that readout. That was great. Yeah, he was into it. I loved it. Um, So something that's kind of, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I think it's going to be a mixed bag. Um, Effective in 2024, uh, catch-up contributions for if you're age 50 or older, there's a little bit of change in in how those work. Um, You have to put them into the Roth portion of your account. So, so there's the, there's the traditional pre-tax bucket and then there's the after-tax Roth bucket and not all employer plans have that Roth bucket as an option. So if you want, if you're age 50 and older and you want to take advantage of catch-up contributions, your employer has to have a Roth feature as a part of their plan if, if you want to contribute to that because those contributions have to go into the Roth part of that. So effectively, it's going to make it so if your employer doesn't have a Roth account, you can't make catch-up contributions. That's that- not great. Or now the employer has to change their plan so that they have the Roth component. And so how is that ultimately going to pan out? Is it going to force employers to offer the Roth feature or is it just going to limit the ability of those workers who are age 50 and older, limit their ability to contribute extra to that, their accounts? That speaks to Alicia's earlier comment on implementation, right? Thankfully, that's not a 20, that would have been a disaster if that went into effect immediately. Yeah. But I believe that's 2024. Correct. But in any, in any case, that's coming up. I mean, 2024 is going to be here quick, right? So the yep. implementation piece could be very, very interesting on that. And then the other thing on that, I, I believe there's also a link to what that person that's 50 or older makes, right? So you're looking at prior years on what their income was, probably, which we'll probably need future follow-up on that too. I don't know if it's adjusted gross income or, or what it is and filing status and all that, or maybe it's W-2 income. I don't know. I would have to dive into a 4,000 page bill to uh, determine that. But I think there's also a link on, okay, if this person earns over $145,000 or more, then it has to be Roth. And essentially the thought is, okay, these higher income earners, we don't want them to just have all of this tax deferred. We're going to tax it now. So then there's going to be some revenue for the government right in that year if the person wants to put more money in the 401k through the catch-up provision. Yeah, that's a good point because the way the way it's written now is 
this is only it's only a requirement to put it into the Roth bucket if you made a hundred greater than $145,000 of wage income the previous okay, year. Okay, so W2. Correct. Okay, okay. So, you know, in one of in one of the the webinars that I listened to about this, you know, sometimes I love their you know, they just don't make over 145,000 if you want to avoid this. You're like, "Oh, yeah, cuz I can control that." Well, but um, then you wonder about deferred compensation plans. Well, yes. Like more people so, might you know, take advantage yeah, of that. Yeah, and if your employer offers that, that gr- that's, right. that's great. Which not everyone does. Yeah, and it's only or they're like, certain people sometimes, just generate but. earnings via <clears throat> self-employment income. <laughs> okay, great. You know, if somebody has the option to do that, that's great. But not that's not something that not everybody, I guess, has access to some of these tools or flexibility to take advantage of those things. Well, you could also, I mean, HSA, right? You could, in theory, just use other vehicles. Yes. To change, yes. to kind of modify and play the, the tax and accounting game. Sure. Yeah. Once again, if you have, you know, if you have access to an right. HSA. Lots of ifs. Yes. Lots of ifs. planning strategies arise. Yes. Yeah, so there are certainly strategies out there to try to navigate this. Um, I just, it doesn't feel great when you're just adding complexity and making it so that the people who have the ability to jump through the hoops will benefit and the people who don't have the ability to jump through the hoops will get stuck. Yep. That never feels great. Yep. So I, you know, this one is, is interesting. And I'm, I, like I said, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing yet. I think it's, it's a mixture of both. It'll be more, how is this actually going to look in practice? Right. Um, because if it's forcing employers to create a Roth component as a part of their 401k plan, that's a good thing. That's offering all employees then more flexibility if they have the option to to contribute to a Roth as part of their 401k. So so that's a good part that could come out of this if that's ultimately how it ends up playing out. So as we're speaking of 401ks and Roth, another change that that is coming and is this a 2024 thing, I believe, but in any case, right now if you have a 401k at your employer and your employer has a match. So let's say you put in 4%, your employer puts in 4%. Let's furthermore say that you have an option of tax deferring that 4% or taxing it and doing Roth. So that that's your decision under you know, pre, well, it still is the decision, I guess, if your plan offers it. You can choose tax deferred or Roth. Any match prior to Secure Act 2.0 was always tax deferred. Now there's going to be some options matching on the Roth side, which again would be tax now. And that's going to change how your employer actually gets a, a tax deduction as well. Um, if, if they do it tax deferred or Roth, but that's going to be something that'll change in 2024. Again, to some of the administrative things, this could be a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's the fidelities of the world, the empowers of the world. Some of those companies that are really big in 401k plan business it might be a logistics nightmare trying to sort through. I mean, hopefully those people are are getting compensated for all the work that they're going to put in this coming year or two with the, with the implementation of this law. Oh, yeah. The P, I mean, there's going to be a lot of people doing a lot of work to try to figure out and navigate the implementation of a lot of these things. Yes. Um, and piggybacking on that, speaking of Roth options and 401ks, um, Secure Act 2.0 makes it so Roth 401ks are no longer subject to RMDs. Um, There was a way around this 
because Roth IRAs are not subject to RMDs, but Roth 401ks were. And so people's response to that was just to roll it over. And so Secure Act 2.0 says, you know what, we're just not going to make Roth 401ks subject to RMDs, make it the same as how Roth IRAs are treated. So that's, that's a simplification. So now people still can roll it over, but you don't have to. You're not going to be subject to RMDs on those Roth 401ks if you, if you don't roll that over. So that's, you know, that's good. Gives little people, people more flexibility, and I'm always for that. So we are sorry to leave you, but just know that there's another podcast. It might be in your queue. If, if you're set up where it'll just play the next podcast. If you're just waiting. keep it rolling. If you're waiting with bated breath yes. <laughs> to hear part two. Keep it rolling. <laughs> part two is coming up very quickly. And if it does not play, search for it maybe on your way home from work. Because I, I know a lot of you love to listen to us on your way into work. You know, I got maybe a 25 minute commute or so. We'd love how to about, bookend your day. How about on the, the way home? So add us to that list as well. Thank you for joining us for Secure Act 2.0.1 today. Thank you. Walkner Conan Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Registration with the SEC does not imply a certain level of skill or training. The opinions expressed by the participants of this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Walkner Conan Financial Advisors. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. Thanks for listening, and for further information, please visit walknercondon.com.